The following content has been rated for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. There must be something in that. I showed emotion. You know what people said? See, you really can't get violent and angry. Welcome to The Squonk and the Hag, a podcast about murder, mystery, the supernatural, and even a conspiracy or two. Dun, dun, dun. My name is Mo. And I'm Kraken. Welcome on in, guys, to The Squonk and the Hag. I know you may have missed us last week, but we are back. And with me, as always, it is Krako. The stars have aligned and we have returned. Yeah, so a little more info on last week. Um, Kraken was busy on Tuesday, which is when we usually record. And we rescheduled for Thursday when the gigantic heat wave hit my office. And it was about the high 80s, low 90s inside my office where I record. So I was like, hey, Kraken, I don't want to die. And I don't want that either. I don't think Pris or the cats would like that either. So... Yeah, well, we did make some adjustments, so we can't obviously tear down all the walls and fix the insulation or somehow make the sun not beat on this room all day long. I mean, you can fix the insulation, but it's not going to be fun. It's also not going to be quick. Like, if we do that, that I'm I'm skipping a couple podcasts, Kraken. Because I'd have to move everything out of this room, prep the room, tear the walls down, put the stuff up, paint it. If you knew where, like, the studs were in the wall, could you not just, like, drill some holes in the wall and just, like, run a pipe in there and just just, just spray a bunch of, like, expanding foam into the wall? I'm not sure because some of these walls are plaster and some of them are right against the brick. So then technically you can't fix the insulation because there's nowhere for it to go if it's right against the brick. Well, yeah, the one wall I drilled through and I had, like, brick dust coming out. Did you have, like, an outside porthole? No, I didn't. I just had, like, some dust. I was like, what the hell is that? I'm like, that's brick. You just started drilling and then it's like, wait, why can't I see sunlight? Hold on. All I wanted to do was hang a shelf. <laughs> went to hang a shelf and I got a new outside window. <laughs> new airflow. Well, so what we did, what we did with the room is uh, moved some things around so there is better airflow in here. Because this is also the room where I do all my crafting. So I have my craft cart and I have all of my supplies and things like that. And for as much stuff as I have, it's organized. But it does mean that there were some things in the middle of the room blocking the airflow. So we move some stuff around so there's better airflow. And now when I'm not recording, because I do have to turn the fan off to record, we have a box fan in the next room over that is blowing the air conditioning in because we had had it in this room and it was just circulating the hot air. So basically I was in a convection oven. <laughs> Yeah, that's not good. Maybe you should just drill holes in the wall and just get like some bent holes. <laughs> These changes made a huge difference. Huge difference. Um, I also, over the weekend, 
I think I told you this, but I didn't really tell anybody else this. I just did it. Uh, my PC kicks out a ton of heat because it's this huge gaming rig. And I mm. turned off my PC Friday night and I didn't turn it back on again until yesterday morning. So I turned that off and I just had my tablet and my phone. So it wasn't like I completely disconnected, but I wasn't sitting here seeing every single Discord notification, seeing every email and all that stuff. So I, I pseudo disconnected and it was actually really nice. You basically went into ghost mode like you were reading everything. You just weren't engaging. <laughs> that was just your messages. I mean, what? Fair enough. <laughs> but no, like I, I was checking and I was, but like a lot of my answers were shorter than usual and not as timely as usual, but it's fine. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, I just drop random memes in the DMs and I'm just like, eh, you'll see them when you see them. Fine. I'm just going to leave that there. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's funny that a lot of our communication back and forth to each other is sending a meme and then just checking back later if the other person reacted to it with an emoji. Basically. I actually, there was this one time and it turned out like you were busy or something like that. And I sent you like three or four memes and you didn't react to them. And like I went back the next morning and you still didn't react to them. And I was like, oh my God, is Krakow okay? Is he okay? And then like a couple hours later you reacted to him. I'm like, okay, Krakow's alive. It's fine. <laughs> Well, excuse me, then, if that's the case, there are, like, uh, three memes that I sent last night that have not got a reaction. Um, so were those not, like, up to standard or something? Like, what's the deal there? Uh, no, I missed them! I assume so. <laughs> yeah, um, I, the, I guess I didn't scroll high enough, because I saw the one about mad scientists and, uh, the party clown and stuff like that, but, oh, the husband daycare center... That's just the, comic papyrus. I hate you. This Go is away. the best conversation because it's all out of context. It's just like, yeah, I saw the one about the mad scientist and then the party clown. Oh, husband daycare. Yeah. <laughs> just like none of this is in context. So it, it makes it even better. Shut up. No. <laughs> I have reacted to all of your memes, Greco. Understandable. Let's get on with the show. So. Uh, we did miss last week. Last week was a motel scheduled, so this week's motel. I'm traumatized, Cracko. This one piqued my interest for a few different reasons. One of them I'm not going to talk about at the beginning because I don't want to spoil stuff deeper into the story. But um, the 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 one thing that really kind of struck me as odd is we're going to be talking about a Canadian serial killer, which is not a phrase you hear often yeah no yeah so like when you think of canada you think like snow and ice hockey and like super nice people that go out of their way to be like extra polite and like mounties which you think ride on moose i mean they could feels like a missed opportunity there okay but yeah, you don't normally think about a serial killer. I think the closest one that I would think of is Israel Keys, who was in the Pacific Northwest of the United States and a few times visited Canada. And they, there's like some speculation on did he, didn't he uh, do anything in there. But like, he he wasn't from, he wasn't Canadian. Like, you don't hear of a lot of Canadian serial killers. I'm not saying there are none. It's just not your usual. 
No, they're, they're, they're too busy with the maple syrup. I mean, would you want to murder lots of people if you had, like, pure Canadian maple syrup? I wouldn't. You have a point. Now I want... Oh, man, now I want pancakes. Damn it, Krakow. My job here is done. All right, so Canada is huge. They have a large maple syrup reserve. <laughs> well, it's also a very large landmass. And New Brunswick is the part of Canada. It's a Canadian province that is just north of the United States and actually borders on the state of Maine to give you kind of an idea of where we are talking about. So it's just north of Maine. And then in northern New Brunswick, there is a city called Miramichi that is situated near the mouth of the Miramichi River. The location is popular with fishing as well as like this. It's a it's a large city, but it has this warm and welcoming community. Uh, you know, people are just really, for lack of a better term, Canadian. Is that what we're calling being friendly now? You're being very Canadian? Yeah, but like the, you know, the whole stereotype and hopefully I'm not going to offend any Canadians, but just, you know, very friendly, very warm, very welcoming to tourists and... I'm going to dig the hole deeper and just say I don't think you can offend Canadians. It sounds like a beautiful place. I kind of want to go there, but... um. I do hate that it was tarnished by today's story. So what I'm hearing is serial killer tour. We visit all the towns that these serial killers act, uh, you know, operated in. It was just the one. Well, this one and then the previous stories that we've gone through, we'll just go to these different places. Yeah, we'll just. Oh, 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 you meant like for the longevity of the podcast. Yeah, every now and again, it's just like, t t today we're here, where this this serial killer, right here is where his, he, he kidnapped his first victim. I completely forgot. You know, we were like, hey, there's no announcements. I messaged the group about this over the weekend, but... Oh, yeah. The podcast has celebrated its one-year birthday! Hooray, first birthday! First birthday, yay! Uh... <laughs> Just when I said the longevity of it. Yeah, so a year ago, we posted our very first episode, and it's just gone downhill from there. But yet, we're still not at the bottom of the hill. It gets worse. It just gets worse. <laughs> the hill never ends. It's like Sisyphus pushing the boulder up the hill, but we just keep going and digging ourselves deeper. Yeah, there is no uphill portion of it. It's just <laughs> yeah. all downhill. It's like it's like trying to stop the boulder from rolling downhill. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of pushing it up, you're just trying to slow it down. Yeah, and then it's like the the Simpsons where like Homer falls down the rocky ledge and it's just like pointy rock, pointy rock and he's like spiraling in the air. Yeah. It just keeps going and going. Just keeps going and going. Uh so anyways, yes, happy birthday to the Squawk of the Hag. And uh here's to many more. I guess is what you say. I don't know what you say for a podcast birthday. I mean, yes, I guess here's to many more, because if there's many more, then that means the podcast is still going. Yeah. In 1948, Alan Joseph Legere was born to Louise Legere. She was a single mother of three already, and to make some extra money, she rented out a spare room 
in their home and at the time rented it to the man who became Alan's father, but he did not stick around. They uh, were a low-income family, so this meant that they lacked some of the comforts uh, that some people are very, very used to, including having their own bedrooms. So he had two sisters and a brother, and he had to share a bedroom with his, his sisters even into his teenage years. And it some of his earliest deviant behavior is that he would watch them undress and got a lot of pleasure from it, which is very icky because they're his sisters. Yeah. And yeah, no, no. Yeah. Starting off great. Yeah. That was kind of the, the sign of when you noticed that there was something wrong. There was... There was some antisocial behavior within him. And then there was a very unfortunate accident. And this is 100% an accident. Some people, like, when you say something like that, they're like, oh my god, he did it! Conspiracy time. But no, um, Alan's brother was hit by a truck and killed. He was on a bridge. He got hit. It's It wasn't... It was actually an accident. Because, I mean, that's awful. But then in her grief... Mm-hmm. Alan's mother repeatedly told him that she wished it had been him instead. I, oh, no, no. These are not things you just say to anyone. No. Yeah. Yeah. On top of all of that, she would also bring many men home and was not discreet about it at all. So Alan had trouble coping with that situation as well. At 16, he dropped out of school and moved out on his own and just kind of, I guess... Did he just kind of like... I guess you could almost say he became a drifter. Out top, I guess is the term. I think it was a little bit of a mix, you know, a little bit of staying with people, a little bit of being on the streets. And while doing this, he he knew he was poor. He, he knew he was poor from the beginning. And... It fueled an intense anger inside of him. These feelings of inferiority just built into a pure rage towards the community and anybody who had something he didn't. He wanted power. He wanted control. And that's when, as a drifter, he started committing minor crimes and like petty thefts throughout the city of Miramichi. I can tell this is going to be great. Yeah, so a lot of times you do hear of people who are raised in poverty that steal things and it's it's not right and all that kind of stuff. But these crimes weren't your run of the mill grab some stuff so you can eat today. The descriptions were incredibly unsettling. So to start, he would only steal things of minimal value. But the victims would wake up in the middle of the night with him standing at the foot of the bed just watching them. Yeah, no, I don't... No. No, thank you. Just imagine how terrifying that is. There's just someone there. What what do you do? Yeah, it's just some just some stranger is standing there watching you sleep. I have no clue what I would do. I mm, no, I don't know. 
Well, I actually can tell you, I would probably be in the next subgroup of people who didn't wake up because I like once I'm out, I am out. I just struggle to fall asleep. But once I'm asleep, I'm I'm good. Uh, So if they didn't wake up, which were some of the victims, he would leave something behind on the bed as a sign that he had been there. I didn't really see what that was, like if it was one of their possessions or one of his possessions. It wasn't anything like a bloody finger or, you know, anything like that. If it was one of their own possessions, like something from the house, I'm going to go ahead and tell you now, I probably wouldn't think anything about it or wouldn't even question whether or not someone had been in my house until I saw like signs of entry or something missing Cause like I can't tell you the amount of times I've like forgotten and left something in bed and didn't realize it until the next morning, and I'm just like, oh, I slept on that. Okay. So if you like woke up with a roll of toilet paper in your bed, you wouldn't think it was weird. Honestly, probably not. <laughs> I would just be like, when did I have that? What did I need that for? <laughs> oh well. Start looking around for a mess. Like, did I? Did I forget to clean something up? What What happened? Uh. So the the weirdest one that I had seen about is one time a woman did not wake up and while she was asleep he cut off her underwear how do you sleep through that i don't who was that heavy of a sleeper i mean maybe if you were on some sort of medication okay fair but if if she was just sleeping like normal sleeping uh you touch my you like if you touch my skin my underwear like you actually touch me i i will start to at least come out of it yeah like it's just weird yeah but this is the start of the the pattern where he targeted victims that were vulnerable and completely at his mercy so this was in this example, sleeping people. He also would target the elderly. And this was to give him those feelings of power and superiority because they couldn't do anything to him. He was better than them. He was bigger than them. He was stronger than them. You see, that's when, like, the whole cutting the underwear off thing, that's when you completely flip the script. You wake up and you jump out of bed and you say, joke's on you, this is how I fight. You've activated my trap card. If that doesn't disturb someone enough to just, like, freeze and give you a brief moment to, you know, you know fight or run, then... I worry about you most days. feel I should write someone a letter about this one. Someone as in who? I don't know! The governor? I don't know! <laughs> uh, yes, I would love to see, to re- see the governor reading that letter. It's like, hi, one of the people in your state, I think is your state... It might be the other Carolina. I'm not sure, but he he's he says some things that make me really worry about him. So maybe we should uh, look into that. He's getting a letter from some random person, just like, "Hello, a resident of your state has made me uncomfortable. Thank you. Goodbye." <laughs> I'm sure they've already have a few of those about you. Probably. <laughs> One of the things that I had seen in quite a bit of research, but I seem to have forgotten to add into my notes, is that he, part of this whole power control superiority thing, uh, he, like, worked out a lot. He wanted to be very strong. Um, So. It's completely understandable. I don't know if that doesn't really fit in with what we were just talking about, but I needed to change the topic of you 
Uh, but yeah, he, he wanted to feel powerful. He wanted to pe- pe- feel superior. So, as with many criminals, these petty crimes turned harsher and harsher. And then on June 21st, 1986, Legere and two young men, they were um, in their older teens, they cut the power to a convenience store in Black River Ridge, which is one of the areas in Miramichi, just after closing. And the plan was to rob it. The owners were a, an older married couple, uh, 66-year-old John and 64-year-old Marie Glendenning, who lived in a house adjacent to the shop. I'm sure this won't go wrong in any way possible. Oh, yeah, no. The robbers demanded all their money. Which, yes, that's what robbers do. I'm not saying you should, but I'm saying that's what robbers do. Uh, demanded all the money in the register. They were given access to the safe. And at this point, Legere and both accomplices, Tom Matchett and Scott Curtis, brutally beat the couple. Mary was barely alive when she woke up with her head in the toilet and a scarf tied tightly around her neck. She had also been brutally sexually assaulted, but was somehow able to crawl to a telephone and call for help. But emergency services were sadly not able to save her husband, John, even though it only took minutes for them to get to the scene. He was already dead. Okay, I was I was thinking that this was going to be like, it went wrong and then, you know, just quick murder, but... No. This is worse. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, and uh, Legere was deemed the ringleader. Like, the other two had done some petty crimes and things like that, but he was a lot older than them. He also had, like I said, a very interesting past. So... When police arrived, the scene was just shocking and horrific. When you beat someone or something, there is blood spatter. Yeah, this is a a common knowledge thing. Uh, But there wasn't just spatter. It was smeared on the walls, the floors, everywhere. It was just blood from the two victims. It's not not supposed to be like that. The walls and the floor are not supposed to be this color. Yeah. Is it like this? Yeah. Um, I didn't see anything about writing, which I guess is better, but it was smeared. In this case, eyewitnesses were vital to the investigation. Uh, Reports were filed of three men with a safe and large sums of money. And, like, it wasn't just, like, people on the street. I guess it was them trying to, like, pawn stuff off and all that. So the police knew them as petty criminals, but all of a sudden they show up with this huge haul and a a really, like, a state-of-the-art safe and all that stuff. So the police were like, hmm. It's a little suspicious. Where did you get that from? (laughs) Yes. And that prompted them to investigate three for murder. They knew that Legere had a reputation of violence. He was even feared by other criminals in the area. 
And as I said, he was much older than the other two, so he was the suspected leader of the group. The three of them were arrested, and Todd Matchett pled guilty. Scott Curtis and Alan Legere were both convicted at trial. So all three of them were convicted, went to prison. It's just that Todd pled guilty while the other two actually had to go through. He went ahead and just, yeah, Todd was just like, yeah, I did it. Yeah. Also, how how scary is this person that other criminals are afraid of him? Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, very big into working out, lifting weights. So pretty ripped. And I, I can't remember, but I feel like he was taller. So like he was a big dude and very violent nature. Very just not not a pleasant personality. It's understandable. Like, you wouldn't want to just, like, hang out. It's not somebody you'd want to come across in a dark alleyway or in your bedroom at night. I wouldn't want to come across him in a crowded the mall or something. This is either going to be funny or horrifying or both, but basically what we're saying is just imagine waking up, the room is dark, but you can see the silhouette of Arnold Schwarzenegger standing at the foot of your bed. So that means we're either going to die or there's an apocalypse happening and he's here to save us. Yes. And also to clarify, bodybuilder Arnold Schwarzenegger, not 2023, not so muscly anymore. Age does things to the body. Yes. It happens. It's a thing. My stupid brain. I'm like, I'm like, age does things to the body. And so does pizza. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of things that, that do things to the body, you know. Yeah, but I really love pizza. Food especially. But. Well, I, I told you this, but I I have severe self-conscious issues about my body just in general because I'm chubby. And I got a swimsuit for when we go down to Florida and I don't hate it. Yeah, it actually looks nice. I'm excited. Yeah, Bobo liked it. And I sent her the website in case she wants to get one, but it's really cute. Yeah. Just make sure when you're in Florida, you watch out for the uh, the swamp kitties. Well, I think the big thing is I need to get like a gallon of sunscreen. Just take a bath in it. Just come out looking like you took a bath in Elmer's glue. I'm so pale. Like the, my swimsuit has like white uh, shoulder straps and I with like ruffles on them. And I like looked at them and I'm like, there's not much of a difference between this <laughs> and my skin. It's just the meme. It's like they're the same picture. I am so pasty, <laughs> but I'm excited. Do I do I time to make a new meme? It's just it's just a white page with like a black line down the middle. So you have like two white squares and the caption is just which one of these is Moe's arm and which one is a white T-shirt. <laughs> oh, although uh, that actually reminds me, uh, it's not really an announcement, but um End of August, I am going to be out of town for a week. So we are probably going to, I know we'll miss at least one episode. It might be two just because of preparing to go. Um, I am a very nervous traveler, so it's going to take me a few days to pack and then repack and then make sure I have everything and repack and then make another list and then repack again. That's fair. Yeah. So just a heads up that. There may be some stuff skipped in August. We are the opposite in terms of preparing for a trip. I'm just like, yeah, I'll just kind of throw this stuff in there. It'll probably be good. Yeah, that's how Chris is. It's close enough. 
I'm like, nope, we got we got our train ticket, we got our plane ticket, we have our hotel, we <laughs> like I have like this. I mean, it is good to make sure you have everything. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be really fun, though. We're going down to um, Disney with Chris's parents and his sister and her um, her two boys. And the the nephews love their Uncle Chris and Aunt Melissa. So I'm excited. It's understandable. And, you know, there's, there's a pool. And we're obviously going to be going to some of the Disney parks and stuff like that. But, you know, it's going to be nice. And we have our own place. Like, uh, it, not like a... That sounds really, like, big. But, you know, it's going to have, like, a kitchen. Uh, or a kitchen. Going to the vacation home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we just... Uh, it's just our little mansion down there. No, um, it's it's like a villa at a, a Disney resort. Um, Chris's mom arranged them. But, you know, we're going to have our own, and then they're going to stay in another one, and then um, visit back and forth. We have a, they have a private villa at Disney World. Uh, for, for a week. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited about that. I'm just, trying to make, I'm just trying to make it sound fancy. Oh, we are not fancy. Just go with it. It's fine. You know that. We're going to down to our vacation villa. Yes, we will. <laughs> we're gonna. I guess I should call the butler in advance and make sure he prepares the place. Let me call my cousin Mickey. He's uh, checking up on the house for us. <laughs> uh, so back to the story. Ah, oh, yes, the story. Usually, that's kind of where we end things, right? They got arrested. They went to jail. Usually, this story is far from over. Oh no. On May 3rd, and this is actually the thing that really sparked my my attention. Legere was, oh, May 3rd, 1989, sorry, was transferred to the hospital with an ear infection. And at the time, like from the moment he was incarcerated, he was a model prisoner. So the guards... You know, they took him to the bathroom because he said he had to go to the bathroom. And he's like, hey, I need some toilet paper. And they're like, oh, I can quick go run and grab some toilet paper. This dude's, you know, he's pretty cool. He's been fine. I'm sure nothing will go wrong. Well, what they didn't know is that he had put a sharpened piece of metal inside of a cigar and then collapsed a TV antenna and hid it in his rectum so he was able to unlock his cuffs and quickly escape the hospital. Man, this episode of MacGyver got weird real quick. Well, to add on to it, the reason he had an ear infection, he saved his urine and then would slowly pour it into his ear until his ear became infected. So this was not by chance. He planned this whole thing. Yeah, we, we thought this guy was messed up to begin with, but now we're at the levels of forcing ear infection through pee in the ear. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's a note, kids. Don't put pee in your ear. In case you were wondering whether or not pee in your ear would get infected, yes, yes, it will. I feel like you could have just done it with water. Like, you know how, like, when you get water in your ears, they, you get ear infections? Like, mm-hmm. he got he got access to a sink. Why did he have to use pee? I guess he wanted to make real sure it was infected, infected. Ugh. It's just so gross. 
So once he got outside of the hospital, he carjacked a woman named Peggy and promised not to hurt her if she just went along with it. And what's really surprising, he kept his word. Once he got to a point that he felt was a safe distance, he just got out of the car. It's weird, but it does kind of make sense, though. Like, he had all the power in that situation. What else did he want from her other than a ride? But now 1989 saw a quiet and peaceful area quickly turn into a terrified city and Legere's playground. There were points in this whole... um, the whole rest of the story went after he escaped that they it was very very similar to a movie the helicopters the sniffer dogs uh agents crawling the city looking for him like that's it it got it got scary and it got scary quick i think i think if i lived in the in the area of like where he was at i would just have never left the house and just lock all the windows and doors and just like barricade everything well, it sounds like that's what some people did, and others left town. Um, some people were just like, "Don't leave the house alone," you know. All like it. It apparently got real, real scary. So he escaped on May third. Uh, just four days later, on May seventh, a man named Max Ramsey was beaten, tied up, and robbed of his wallet and car. And this is the first in a string of robberies and sightings of Legere. Then on May 28th, Harry Preston drove by Annie Flam's corner store at 3.50 in the morning. Um, I'm not sure why he was out at that late. I don't know if he was like going to work, coming home from work, couldn't sleep. But uh, it was 3.50 a.m. and he saw smoke coming from the door. So... He was was from the neighborhood. He knew Annie. So he pounded on the door to see if anyone was inside. And um, there were also two police officers in their cruisers passing at the time. So when nobody answered. I was lucky. Oh, very lucky. So they were flagged down, quickly called the fire department. And one of them, Officer Pugh, broke down the back door and actually found Annie's sister-in-law, Nina, at the foot of the stairs. She was partly clothed and barely conscious and very badly burned. So he wrapped her in his coat, called for an ambulance, uh, you know, got her outside, etc. But sadly, Annie did not share the, the same rescue. She... She died in her upstairs bedroom, tied to a chair. Both women had been severely beaten and sexually assaulted before Legere lit the house on fire to destroy the evidence. Okay, it got even worse. Yes. So... Even further downhill. Yes. Even further downhill. So then the rest of the summer was filled with more sightings of him, petty crimes, thefts, carjackings, etc. Rewards were offered for information, but police just could not catch him. You know, they they were finding a trail, but they just could not get him. So then on October 14th, 1989, a volunteer firefighter named Danny Sullivan 
saw smoke coming out of the house of two sisters, Donna and Linda, blah, blah, Donna and Linda Donnie. He actually, they lived around the corner from the fire hall. So he just booked it. Uh, apparently, I saw he was like on a walk with his girlfriend when he saw this. So then he just took off, ran around the corner to the fire hall, called for help, geared up, went back. Uh, the Sadly, the two women were discovered inside, but did not survive. It's sad that they didn't make it, but like... It's it's been kind of lucky that there's been someone nearby to see it before it got, you know, any worse, but Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Nina, uh Annie's sister-in-law did survive. Yeah. You know, she because somebody was there to find it. It's just sadly the Donnie sisters didn't. Yeah. Again, both were severely beaten and sexually assaulted. And at the time it came to light that Linda had previously turned down Alan's romantic advances, which is why they think with this crime, he targeted two women in their 40s instead of his usual elderly victims. Both women died from blunt force trauma, but Linda's beating was so brutal, it broke her jaw, which is not an easy bone to break. No, I don't, I don't think... I don't think most bones are easy to break, you know, except for like fingers and stuff. But yeah, yeah, this is true. The beating broke her jaw and both women were completely unrecognizable from the violence. They, uh, the coroner, I believe it was, it was, it was either the coroner or the funeral director or something had to use their differences in height and weight to identify which was which. Yeah, that. Mm-hmm. That's bad. Yeah. Yeah. All because Linda didn't want to go on a date with Alan. They can hurry up and catch this guy now. But that'll be great. Well, he had one final victim before he was caught. From his youth, and I I wasn't able to really see why, but he had this massive aversion to the Catholic Church. He hated the Catholic Church. And in the past, he had a run-in with a local priest. So, on the night of November 15th, Legere broke into the rectory of Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary Church. It's a very long name. Yes, it is. In Chatham Head. I had to go real fast because I'm like, I know I'm going to screw this up. I know I'm going to screw this up. In the rectory is where he brutalized 69-year-old Father James Smith, which is the same man he had a run-in previously at this church. Father Smith had 13 broken ribs, a broken jaw, multiple stab wounds, and his neck was sliced open. I feel like all that was necessary. Actually, none of it was necessary, but... None of it was necessary. To make it worse, after the murder... Legere stayed at the house for hours. He ate a meal, washed his boots, changed his clothes. There was even a phone call that was answered saying wrong number before hanging up. Fair enough. He just kind of chilled there for a little bit. With the priest's body. But why though? Uh, I, I, no one knows. 
it didn't have to be like this. Yeah, it did not have to be like this. It did not. None of this had to be like this. I, I, no, none of it. Like, this is one of those cases. Oh, like, they don't make sense to me. I, I don't understand how people can do this to other people. Like, I've never legitimately hit someone. Like, I've, I've, like, one time I slapped a guy in the face. That's, that's the worst thing I've ever done in terms of violence. I haven't even done that. Uh, well, he deserved it. Um, Fair. <laughs> but like that that that's my limit of violence in my life and then to think of people punching someone and hurting someone and killing someone i just can't comprehend it but in a lot of these stories you can like look through the timeline look through the, the their life and stuff like that and be like okay I can understand why they thought this was point A and point B. Like, I don't think that they are justified, but I can be like, okay, they had a terrible childhood, so they grew up, messed up, and did something yada yada. This one, like, he did have a few things in his childhood and stuff like that, but it just seems like... He just hated everyone. Yeah, the only the only way I could see someone being able to do stuff like that is just like if your brain's a little off and you have no feeling at all for anything. Yeah, that's the only way I can see you being able to do something like that. Uh, I don't know. Um, they have mentioned he is like a master manipulator and somehow like people don't like him, but he's very charismatic so fair enough yeah i it's weird so i know that a lot of times uh there is no diagnosis mentioned that i had seen for psychopathy or anything like that just some antisocial behaviors but not an actual hey this guy's a psychopath uh but it almost seems like there might be some hints of it like not actually but kind of close I think anyone who can do stuff like this and still want to do it and just, like, they're happy doing it. Like, yeah, I think yeah. there's a bit of that in there. There's got to be. So that night, Father Smith was supposed to have mass and didn't show up. And one of the people in attendance is a man who did odd jobs for the church. And he went to check on the father because he had a spare key to the rectory. Then he immediately ran back yelling, call the police. I can't imagine finding something like that either. Yeah, me either. And I didn't dig deep into what... Uh, obviously, he was brutalized, but I didn't look into just what how graphic that scene was. The details. Yeah. Yeah. Legere was apprehended on November 24th, 1989. And his trial occurred in 1991, which is a typical timeline in the legal system. Uh, this is actually, I said there were two things that kind of flagged my interest. This is a third. I forgot to mention that. Um, this trial was the first in Canadian history to use DNA evidence to convict rather than exonerate. Interesting. Yeah. Fair enough. So while he was in prison, there were DNA samples collected for his file and at multiple crime scenes, they found blood and semen, which he tried to cover up by burning the houses down. But since the houses didn't completely burn down, since they were caught before that happened. That's even better. They were able to get samples 
So it really, you were saying that it was lucky that they had people who were there quickly on scene. Yeah. It was even luckier than you thought. Because now they can actually put him away for that. Exactly. Exactly. They could, they had, you know, the harder the evidence that you have, the better the likelihood at conviction, especially when it comes to DNA. Yeah. So the the case was a very important test case for genetic fingerprinting because you know this is the early 90s this is still an a rising technology so it showed the validity of the science in the courtroom and how powerful it was at conviction the university of new brunswick which is the area that uh, miramichi is in actually has a special digital collection which is where i found quite a bit of evidence in my research um all about the case both due to the infamy as well as the scientific importance in criminal justice so in november 1991 Legere was sentenced to life in prison he is still serving his sentence at the Edmonton Institution, which is a maximum security federal prison in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, which is actually um, in the western half of Canada. So he is across the country from where he did his crimes. Um, you know, they they pulled him out of that area and they put him in uh, maximum security in Edmonton. You know, that... that makes you wonder like i'm sure it has something to do with like um the natives in the area but why why don't why doesn't canada do something like what russia does they just like take the the yukon territory like the upper part of canada where there's not really any cities it's just wilderness and just build a prison out there because if you escape you're not really going anywhere fair fair i don't know <laughs> so he petitioned for parole in 2021. Uh, he, I believe it was 2012, was eligible for day parole, and 2015 was eligible for full parole, or, or to bid for parole. Uh, but he finally did actually petition in 2021. After blaming others for his crimes... He then argued that he could just safely return to New Brunswick and everything would be fine. Yeah, I don't think so. Well, a parole officer and a senior corrections manager both testified that he should not be released. And one of them even stated that Legere should never be released. They have a point. Yes. Well, in the board's... Just keep him in there. Yeah. In the board's denial, one member told him... Your offending is of the most serious nature, and the victim harm is still felt to this day. Now, that is 30 years later, because he was convicted in 1991. And it is still felt to this day as to what he did to that city. So let's hope he stays in there. I hope so, too. There are some concerns because now that he can petition... Uh, once a year, he can petition again for parole, and all it takes is one sympathetic ear to potentially skew. And as I said, he's very manipulative, very uh, smooth with his words. So there, there unfortunately is a fear uh, by, you know, Miramichi. I know the mayor was saying that, you know, there was a sigh of relief when 
parole was denied. But, uh, you know, there is still a possibility that he could get out, which is scary. Yeah, let's let's hope that possibility is like zero and that he doesn't get out. I really hope so. I will say they're probably very, very strict if he ever gets an ear infection. Probably any sort of medical issue. They're just like, nah, you're going to stay in here. We'll take care of it in here. Well, they're not going to they're not going to deny him help, but I'm sure they're going to do like a metal detector and crazy security. No, but you're not leaving the prison for help. You, you'll go to the if, if it's not that serious, you'll you'll just go to the, the prison's yeah. medical facility. Yeah. You're staying here. Yeah. So that is the story of the monster of Miramichi, also known as Alan Legere. Thanks. You're welcome. Hooray for trauma. Yeah. This one, like, they're all sad, but this one really... Yeah. I don't know why it hit me. Like, something... So, I think we've talked about it before. I'm not super religious, so I'm not, like, a, a very devout Catholic, but the Catholic priest really bothered me. Probably because, like, that's someone who's, you like seen as innocent i guess and it sounded like he was just like from the things i read he was just a really sweet guy who wanted to help people and care for people and you know he wanted to to he wanted to be that like perfect priest that yeah would guide people in their lives and stuff like that and then something so vicious happened to him yeah that's, that's awful the story was interesting i had not i had not heard that one yeah. Well, I guess Canada's like, well, we don't have a ton of serial killers, but we got some doozies for you. Boy, Canada don't have many serial killers, but the ones they do, oh boy. <laughs> this is true. But thank you guys for listening. We appreciate each and every one of you, and we will be back next week for a Cracko Tale. Yes, and as we all know, Cracko Tales are very interesting because i apparently can find the weirdest of things yeah it's a talent i'm gonna put that on my resume all right guys we will see you next week and bye as always make sure to check out our website for all of the show notes sources and more information at the squonk and the and we would also love and appreciate your support by either leaving a review on iTunes or through small monthly donations using the viewer support link in the description. And if you don't subscribe, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast network to get notified of new episodes every Thursday. All right, Krakow, you ready? Okay, bye.